0: Well, take that Bible this morning and open back to Matthew chapter 5 as we've been going through the Beatitudes. And we really come to the eighth and final Beatitude on blessed are the persecuted. And let me just give you a preview of where we're going. I'm thankful that we were able to take this uh, short uh, look at Matthew chapter 5. I think it was great for... Just uh, with people in and out in the summer, I'm anxiously looking forward and have been preparing for John chapter 10. We will start that after our baptism celebration in the month of October. So we'll look at blessed are the persecuted today. Then on September 10th, I'll take a message on you are the salt of the earth. And I think that is so important for us. And then on the 17th, you are the light of the world. And I think it's only... Uh, Proper that we finish that. This is the eighth and final Beatitude, but I think when you look at 13 through 16, it fits in nicely, and even with what we did last week on the ministry fair on equipping you on the inside, but we scatter to evangelize. And the truth is, is that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. So we'll finish up the eighth Beatitude today, and then look at the next two weeks on those two messages. And then return to John 10 and our exposition of John on the Good Shepherd. Look down. Let me read the text for you. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a wonderful passage. And we find ourselves here in the recent weeks broken over our sin before a holy God, acknowledging in being poor in spirit that we are spiritually bankrupt. It produces within us a spirit of meekness before God and others and yet far from despairing we are the people who are described as hungering and thirsting after righteousness longing to be more with Christ and that relationship with God does not cause us to withdraw from the world's pain in fact on the contrary in the midst of the battle. We are to show mercy to those battered by adversity, to show mercy to those battered by sin. We desire to be a peacemaker, and yet we are not thanked for our efforts, but rather opposed. We are insulted. We are persecuted. I mean, these blessings and these beatitudes are so radical. I mean, the world judges the rich to be blessed, not the poor. They judge the strong to be blessed, not the meek. They say that the full are blessed, not the hungry. That the cutthroat, not the pure and hard are blessed. They say that those who are successful, not those who suffer persecution. However, the blessing that comes to us, you would agree, is paradoxical. He actually says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the reason why is theirs, and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. He pronounced a blessing or happiness on those who mourn over their sin, and the reason they're blessed is they're comforted by God. He said, blessed are the meek, those who have that power under control. Sometimes they get trampled on, but they're blessed because they inherit the earth. He pronounced a blessing on those who are hungering and thirsting but all the while they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness the bible says that god satisfies them so they're truly blessed and we've been saying all along blessed in this life and blessed in the life to come he pronounced a blessing on those who are merciful and the reason would be is because you receive mercy as you demonstrate that mercy Blessing is on the one who is pure in heart, for they and they alone shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, those who make peace, because they truly are called the sons of God. And so here we come this morning, as we read in 5:10, is the blessing on those who are persecuted. And they are rewarded. Theirs, you can see it in verse 10, is the kingdom of heaven you get heaven. And in verse 11 and 12, it says that those who are persecuted ought to rejoice and be glad for their reward is great. I mean, I mentioned that it's paradoxical because you would think that one who hates sin, that one who is meek before God and others, that one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness should actually suffer persecution. But that's what it Says. Now, obviously, we sit relatively at ease in America for now, but we could be in a room of martyrs, maybe within years. We don't know what the future holds for us, but it seems like it continues to escalate. And so, this is a needed word for us. I mean, I think you know, as we sit in relative ease, the statistics are grim. They're grim all over the world. And I think you're well aware, it strikes me every time I say it, and I've said it to you before, that there are more Christians who were martyred for their faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. Now, we don't tend to think about that. We don't necessarily always see that. Some of you have experienced persecution in some form but there were more people martyred for their faith in the last century than the previous 19 centuries combined if you want the statistics about 75 million have been persecuted and killed for their faith 45 million roughly so in the 20th century and so we need to listen to this word and listen to what our lord says It is estimated that today there are about 200 million people on the face of the earth persecuted for the cause of Christ. And so we need to be faithful to the text. We need to understand what Jesus had said. In fact, you can imagine the radical nature of what he said in this day when he uttered these words on that mountain and on that hillside. Because it was very common among the Jews to think that all suffering and all persecution was a sign of God's displeasure. Not true. Jesus actually radically says, listen, blessed are those who are persecuted. So how can we understand this eighth and final beatitude? I want to look at three truths with you that reveal the blessings of persecution. That's right the blessings of persecution. I pray that God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear the word this morning to us. Here's the first truth. Number one, persecution is inescapable. It's inescapable. I mean, I suppose right there in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted, but you would just note that they're are those who are persecuted. It is still striking to me that you can be a peacemaker and when you become a peacemaker, you become a troublemaker all at the same time. That in your effort to make peace, in your effort to even be holy, you may be creating more problems for yourself. And so here, number one, persecution is inescapable. It is sometimes, it is the consequence of living out the previous uh, eight, or seven Beatitudes. In fact, it's all over the Scripture. In fact, at the end times that we look forward to in the future from this writing, Luke said in 21, Jesus said, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you will be put to death and you will be hated by all, Jesus said, for my name's sake. That's where our world is heading. Sorry to be so blunt with you this morning, but maybe that's a reality check. That when the tribulation finds itself upon this earth, you will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You would think he would say that you'd be delivered up by your enemies, but he doesn't. You're going to be hated, Jesus said. He said, by all for my name's sake. Paul writing to the church at Philippi, in that classic statement in Philippians one twenty nine he said to those in Philippi, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Just the mark of a believer is going to include Suffering. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 3 said that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions and he didn't want them to be disturbed. These afflictions, it's the pressure is the thought. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, that we kept telling you that we were to suffer affliction. In other words, this persecution in some cases may be inescapable. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 said, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So listen, this is something that we need to hear. This is something that we need to own. In fact, the opposite is true in Luke 6.26. Even to us this morning, Jesus pronounced a woe to you when all people speak well of you whoa, a curse is pronounced if in your form of Christianity all people speak well of you. I mean, let me just say that if you're popular with everyone, it's either because you have masked Christianity or maybe you're just not a Christian at all. I mean, if everybody just speaks well of you, then it would leave itself to wonder if we've been truthful of our faith and truthful about the person of Jesus Christ christ john the apostle you remember when he said in first john 3 13 do not be surprised brothers that the world hates you i mean think about it even today that's becoming more true all the time you stand for righteousness you desire to be a peacemaker and yet there are going to be people in the world that hate you on the the because of the account of christ Listen, I read for you William Barclay and I chose these readings and these quotes purposefully. There could have been many more that I would have brought that might not, that probably go beyond the scope of a crowd like this, of what's happened to some in the 20th century. But just understand that right after the time of Christ, Barclay said that people often had to choose between him, Christ, and someone they loved. He said some of them were thrown to the lions Others were burned at the stake. Emperor Nero would put pitch on Christians and burn them to light his garden parties. You've heard that before. He would then at times sew them in skins of wild animals and then he would put his hunting dogs on them to tear them to pieces. Believers were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured on them and red hot brass plates were put on the tenderest parts of their bodies. Barclay says that eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies would be cut off and roasted in front of them to accentuate the torture. Hands and feet were burned and then cold water would be poured on them. So when Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, it would just be some 30 years later where some of these things would take place. And that's a light reading compared to the stuff that I've read in recent years with believers all across the globe. I mean, it's possible, you would agree with me, to erase persecution today. Just compromise. Laugh at the crude jokes at work and say nothing. Let them take the Lord's name in vain in front of you and just smile passively. I mean, you can just avoid it altogether. Confront no one in sexual sin. Don't share your faith with anyone. But listen, when you live out these beatitudes, persecution is inescapable. In fact, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4.12. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't be surprised if you're persecuted Be surprised if you're not. Listen, when you live out the Beatitudes, be ready for a reaction. And I'm not purposely saying we ought to raise up trouble, but be ready for a reaction. In fact, I would put it this way. This is a mark of a believer. It's just a mark of a believer. You love Christ so much that you want to tell others about him. But persecution, number one, is inescapable. Truth, second truth, okay, is not only is it inescapable, But the second truth is persecution is varied. It's varied. It can take on different forms, even in our own day. Persecution, at least in this text, is not one-dimensional. It's not even limited to the early church, for sure. For sure, it's not limited to the early church if more people were martyred in the 20th century than the previous 19 combined, okay? It's not limited to the early church. It's not even limited to those who are martyred. And Jesus states the persecution is varied in three ways. Number one, you will be persecuted. Look at it in verse 10. He, he mentions that word three times. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. That's just our word. That's one of the ways. He says in verse 2, or excuse me, in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you. And then he mentions it again, persecute you. He says in verse 12, a third time, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets. Dioko is the word mentioned three times. You say, what does it mean to be persecuted? Well, it it means to pursue. It's the ideal of being harassed. It's the ideal of being driven out to be hunted, to be run down, to be sought after, to be Chaste is what the word means. He says, so blessed, blessed are you who are persecuted, who are hunted, if you will, run down, chased, sought after, harassed. You remember the believers in the book of Hebrews in 11.36 experienced mockings and floggings and chains and imprisonment. And it says there in, a, in Hebrews 11, they were stoned and they were sawed in two and they were killed with the sword and they were afflicted and they were mistreated and they went about in sheepskins and goatskins and the idea they're chased they're being hunted they're being harassed and so jesus radically comes on the scene and said blessed are you when you are persecuted Now you say, and you ask, Scott, why would a believer be persecuted? Uh, Very clear. Look at the text in 5.10. you got to make sure of this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? Righteousness' sake. Or in the old NASB, for the sake of righteousness or for righteousness' sake. You say, well, what does that mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? I think the answer is just in the next verse. Look at verse 11 and look at the parallel. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. And here's the the key. On my account, there's the key. In other words, you're persecuted for righteousness sake. It's paralleled in the next verse because of the life of Jesus Christ because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so if we are persecuted for righteousness, it must mean that our lives have become like His, that our life is conforming to His life, and that life was a life of holiness. And so He's saying you should be persecuted, not for all things, you should be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. In other words, you want to suffer because you're holy. You want to suffer for the sake of Christ because your life conforms to his. In fact, a great illustration of this is in 1 John. Do you remember in three twelve and 13 when it said we should not be like Cain? who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. In other words, he was murdered because of his righteous deeds, because of his righteous life. And John the Apostle said, do not be surprised that the world hates you. In fact, Jesus later in John's gospel said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so here is this first form of variation. It's to be persecuted in 10, 11, and 12, to be hunted, to be run down, to be chased to be harassed, and Jesus pronounces a blessing on you. Now, you know, and you, as I just said, it doesn't say, blessed are you for being overzealous. Blessed are you when you are unwise. That's not the point. Blessed are you, you does not say that, when you lack wisdom, when you're foolish. It's for righteousness' sake. In fact, Peter said in 2.20, what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, there's no credit for it. If you sin and you're being foolish and you're being unwise and you make unwise, foolish, rash statements and you're proud or you're arrogant or you're egotistical in your exchange with people, Peter would say, what credit is it if when you sin you're beaten for it? In other words, some are persecuted because they are rude or because they're judgmental or because they're irresponsible. But here, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Peter said this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, very similar, because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, there it is, let him not be ashamed. It would be like to say, did the thief on the cross Was he persecuted and martyred uh, for Christ? And the answer is no. He was being put on the cross for his sin, but he trusted Christ and went into glory. But he wasn't on that cross for any righteousness of his sake, but grace and mercy were given. He said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. You could just meddle in people's business and then get chastised for it and you say you're persecuted. Well... He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So listen, you could face persecution like this today. You could be chased. You could be hunted down. You could be ostracized in this room by your family, okay? You could be made to look ridiculous. You could be ridiculed. You could be looked over for a promotion at work. Your friendships can come to an abrupt end. Ladies, you could lose friendships just because you don't gossip with the other ladies and you want to keep away from gossip. This could take on many forms, you understand, but it's all for the cause of Christ. That's the first form, persecuted. Secondly, look down in the text. It's not the only way you can be insulted. Look what it says in verse 11. Blessed, he pronounces that again, are you when others, watch this, revile you this is verbal abuse so i'm just telling you what the text says it's not only martyrdom for the kingdom you can be insulted you could face verbal abuse the, the word means just simply there to cast insult at someone with mocking words maybe that's been you in fact they insulted christ when he was on the cross in matthew 27 he saved others he can't save himself if he's the king of israel let him come down from the cross and the robbers who crucified who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way they insulted him they may insult you maybe you're experiencing that now maybe you're being whispered at maybe you're being made fun of maybe you've been ostracized i remember just i don't know if i'd call it persecution but just the jeers and the, the whispering and really the laughter and some of the mocking I received even when I was playing basketball at college, at Pierce Junior College, for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's minor compared, but maybe you face some of these things. Maybe it comes from your family. Maybe it comes from your mother. Maybe it comes from your mother-in-law, your grandmother, your grandfather and you've taken the hit because of these things. And maybe you've not been persecuted, but maybe you've been insulted is the word, and you've been verbally abused at work or in your neighborhood or on the team or whatever it may be. This is a form of it. In fact, it could even just be your last name. Ah, they're so controlling, really. I'm amazed even being here in a small town what's, said at times, I call that reverse prejudice. Okay? You can be insulted, but that's not all. Persecuted, insulted. There's a third kind. Look at verse 11 when it says, and utter all kinds of evil against you. Here's the key. Falsely on my account. Persecuted, insulted. Thirdly, slandered. They say evil against you falsely. People accusing you of things you have never said and have never done. Said all the time about our church in the community. Really? We never said that. Really? I never said that. We never declared that. We've never made a decision on that. And you can think of far worse situations, but people are slandered. In fact, in the early church, believers were accused of being cannibals. Because in the Lord's Supper, Lord's supper, they spoke of eating the body of Jesus and drinking his blood. You see, those people are cannibals. And a host of other things were said about them. They're unpatriotic unpatriotic. Oh, yes, there's reams written on this because they don't give their allegiance to Caesar. They give their allegiance to the Lord. And so these people were slandered for being not driven by the family and for eating the flesh of Christ and for talking about the fire at the second coming in Peter and a host of other things. Here's what they said about our precious Lord Jesus Christ. He was a glutton. They said that he was a drunkard. They said that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which he was, but that was a slanderous statement that they made against him. He was slandered. And so this persecution is varied. I mean, in this room, you could just have uncompromising ethics at work. Some of you have told me this. Just have uncompromising ethics at work and you'll be looked over. And some of you have. And so this takes on many different forms. Some have been passed over for promotion. Some are excluded from conversation because you simply don't gossip. And so, beloved, listen, this is a beatitude that we need to face and recognize. But first, recognize that persecution is inescapable. Secondly, recognize that persecution is varied. And then the question would be, how should you respond to this? How should you respond? Well, look at verse 10. He said, you should respond with a blessing. He blesses those. Why? Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. So third and finally, persecution is rewarded, okay? It's rewarded is what the text says, Now, you'll note there, it's hard to believe it if you can want to underline that in verse 12. He tells us this morning by the Spirit of God, rejoice. He tells us to to be glad. Now, if you just stop there for a second, the word there for be glad means, you could even translate it this way, be really, really glad. In fact, it would be fair to translate it, jump up. For joy, skip, some texts say, shout for joy. And you might be saying this morning, really? I'm supposed to jump? I'm supposed to skip? I'm supposed to shout when I'm persecuted? And the answer, according to Christ, is yes. And so this is key for us this morning, that persecution is rewarded. You say, well, how so? Well, Jesus said this, I think it's in the next verse in Luke chapter 6, very similar in the other gospel. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. And then he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, here it is again. Your reward in heaven is great. You say, well, Scott, how can I rejoice in light of that kind of persecution? Well, two reasons. Look at the text again in verse 10. He said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he said, you're blessed even though you're hunted, even though you're pursued, even though you're chased, even though you have things said falsely against you. Why? Well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, right now as you sit, right now as you go forward, you are the recipient of heaven. You are the recipient as a believer of God's rule, of God's kingdom, that kingdom that came on earth in Jesus Christ. Even as we sang this morning, you are... One of his. He chose you out of this world. Your future is not grim. Your future is bright. You get heaven. You get God. You get Christ. You get a new body. You get a glorified body. You get no more sorrow. You get no more pain. All the old things have passed away. There is going to be that time where you will forever be in the presence of God. But he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is all the beatitudes, you're already part of that kingdom rule now. You already have the Holy Spirit. You already possess the forgiveness of sins. Your sins have been buried in the deepest part of the sea. Your sin has been wiped out like a thick cloud. He promised to forgive you all your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins. As you sit here now, we sang this morning, you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He looks down, does God the Father on you and does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ lived out in you you because you accepted him and through faith and by union with him you're a part of the child of God and so here's one of the reasons he said blessed are you when they persecute you because right now you're a recipient of the kingdom of heaven it's coming in a much fuller way in the future but you're in his kingdom right now As much as when Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be in paradise with me, you have already entered into that relationship with God the Father. God the Father set his love on you before the foundation of the world. God the Son died for you in time and space, in history. He forgave you all of your trespasses, it says. "Okay," And then in the future, he's going to take you into glory. But as it is now, you've been given a down payment. A down payment in the Holy Spirit. In the Greek there in Ephesians 1.14, he's the error He's the down payment that's securing your salvation. And Paul would say it this way in Romans 8, nothing shall separate you from the what? The love of God. So listen, there's one of the reasons he would say that. Blessed are you. Listen, when you're persecuted, when you're reviled, when you're insulted, when you're slandered, when evil spoken on you, Uh, You know, on account of you because of the name of Christ. Listen, you're already a recipient of the kingdom of God and there's nothing that can separate you from him. But that's not all there is. That's now. But look what he says in verse 12. And I don't want you to miss this. He says, rejoice and be glad. Now, you got to underline this because you probably think Christ wouldn't say it, but he did. For your reward is, here's what he says, great in heaven. In other words, not only do you get heaven, but when you've been persecuted because of righteousness sake on account of his name, your reward is great. In the Greek polis, it means immeasurably great. In other words, you get a great reward. And he's talking about that theme of rewards that when we get to heaven, heaven will be heaven, but he will pass out rewards according to our faithfulness. And for those men and women who live out this truth and who find themselves sometimes in a great circumstance, they will receive an immeasurably great reward. In fact, I have some scriptures on this in Hebrews 10, where he says, recall the former days when you endured the hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves, here it is, had a better possession and an abiding one. In other words, it's encouragement to us that though you may be persecuted in many different forms, you have a better possession. You have an abiding one. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There's a promised kingdom for us. You have a better possession. You have a possession that you look forward to. And he encourages us with that. Do you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham, it says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Always for the life of the believer, there is a joyous looking forward to what life will be like in his kingdom, that he has prepared for them a city. Some of you might feel put out. Some of you might feel lonely, but listen, understand that one day the Lord has prepared a wonderful possession for us. There is a great reward in this text for those who obey Jesus Christ at a great cost. I think here's the encouragement. You may lose everything on earth, but you inherit everything in heaven. You may lose your head on earth, but you will not lose your crown in glory. Listen, you would understand this. If our Lord remembers a cup of cold water in his name, then certainly he's going to pass out a great reward for those that will be persecuted. That could be some of you. Would it be neat if some of you from our own church were called out as missionaries? Who knows what will happen to my own daughter, Christine and Corey and their precious children, our grandchildren. Do you know that 80% of the country of Albania is Muslim? Those are sacrifices that people make there's commitments that people make it could very well be on us one day but there was a great man in church history named John Chrysostom and he preached so strongly against sin that he offended the empress and he offended many church officials and then he was summoned before the emperor whose name was Arcadius and Chrysostom was so threat, was threatened with banishment if he did not cease from his uncompromising preaching And his response is, sir, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. Then Arcadius said, then I will slay you. John said, nay, but you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. Then he said, your treasures will be confiscated. To which John replied, sire, that cannot be either, for my treasure is in heaven where no thief can break in and can, they cannot steal. Then I will drive you from man, and you will have no friends left. That you cannot do either, for I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I think this is something of what Jesus said when he said, rejoice. There's a great reward. You not only get heaven, but you get rewarded in some measure, in some way by the Lord Jesus Christ for suffering on account of his name. Listen, young people, I think all the time of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, where he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Listen, he would rather, it says, be mistreated with God's people than to enjoy all the pleasures of Egypt. And believe me, he had it all, did he not? But he bypassed them. It says in Hebrews 11 that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And here it is. For he was looking to the reward. So listen, he was looking to the reward and the reward wasn't in this life. The reward was in the life to come. And so Jesus just would tell us, blessed are you, happy is that man, happy is that woman, happy is that young student who would be persecuted because they're willing to put their faith on the line, they're willing to confront someone in sin, they're willing to not let the Lord's name be taken in vain and it'd be okay. In fact, they might even say something to a coach if they have to. I mean, I can't believe sometimes the vulgarity that comes out of coaches' mouths. Listen, it might be that you need to take a stand. You might lose a little respect in the locker room, but you're going to gain it by Christ. And that could be going at the water cooler in the workplace or even at the break room, whatever it needs to be. But Moses, it says that he would rather be mistreated if he said he missed, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy those passing pleasures. 1 Peter 1.5, Peter said, By God's power, we're guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by these various trials. He said, Though you have not seen him in one eight, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And then he said in 4.13, Rejoice insofar as you would share in Christ's suffering that you also, be, you also rejoice, be glad when his glory is revealed. And so listen, beloved, let us take inventory. I mean, it doesn't make sense that those who are poor in spirit, that those who mourn over sin, that those who are meek, that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, that those who are pure in heart, that those who are peacemakers will actually be persecuted. But you are because when you stand for righteousness and when you stand for morality, you might get exposed and you might be insulted and slandered and even persecuted. But what a great text this is for us. Some of you certainly remember January 8th, 1956. It's a long time ago. Aka Indians of Ecuador killed Jim Elliot's But they not only killed Jim Elliot, you remember the account, they killed his four missionary companions as they were trying to bring the gospel to the Aka tribe of 60 people. I don't know if you knew that. It's not like this is some massive tribe. They went to go give the language to just 60 people. So four young wives lost their husbands and nine children lost their fathers. Elizabeth Elliot wrote that the world called it a nightmare of tragedy. But then she added this. The world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliott's creed. And do you remember that second clause? That he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot what? lose. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. There must be a special reward there. There must be a great reward. There must be a a wonderful reward. Maybe that's something of what the Lord means when he says that the last shall be what? First, Maybe it's these people who are going to be so close to the throne room of God because they've been able to be, live, live out their faith and live out these truths. Listen, all of us experience the joys of heaven. But I'm just saying, Jesus said in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Now listen, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but if you look back in verse 10, people did. I didn't even write it in my notes. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted, those and all the Beatitudes, those who this, those who... But he changed to a second person imperative in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my name. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So listen, there is some measure, some reward. All of us will be rewarded. You say, well, Scott, the motive is reward. No, the motive is never reward. You know that. It's all grace, is it not? It's all mercy, is it not? These are people who are in the kingdom, not trying to gain the kingdom. These are people who are in the kingdom. So though Jesus said in David's scripture, my burden is easy and my yoke is light, for some it's difficult on this earth. And for some of those who follow forward on this, there is a great reward. Maybe we should start including praying for the persecuted church in our Sunday morning services. Maybe we need to remember our dear brothers and sisters, not only in Houston, facing difficulty, if you saw some of those pictures, okay? 10% of Michael Boyce's church is out of their house. Okay, that's a a disaster, we call it. But in some cases around the globe, there's people being persecuted for the cause of Christ, like Jim Elliot. I had so many more accounts, time didn't permit it. But I like when Peter says, there's an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Remember your inheritance this morning. Maybe you feel like you've lost many things on this earth and you don't have much to your day, but remember your inheritance. Remember when Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Oh, they're not worthy of that glory that will come. I remember reading as a young seminary student the biography of John Patton. I might have just been new in ministry. And John Patton was a missionary. You should read it. It's one of the most unbelievable stories you will ever read about a missionary, John Patton, to the New Hebrides Islands. And one of the things that's so touching there was when John parted from his family and parted from his father who loved Christ and got on that ship to sail to the New Hebrides Islands and this, the emotion of that exchange was just takes your breath away. The closeness that John and his father shared, knowing that his father might give John off to that ship, off to the New Hebrides Islands, never to see him in, again for the cause of Christ. And before John Patton went to the New Hebrides Islands, he had to talk to his elders for going there. And while he was talking to them, Mr. Dixon, D I C K S O N exploded. You imagine this season elder, the cannibals. You will be eaten by the cannibals and he just in the book he just said it really loud. And as you read through the biography you understand there's a context there, the memory of other missionaries by the name of Williams And Harris, only 19 years before, had their head cut off. And John Patton wanted to go back to these islands and share the gospel. And here's what Patton said. What would you have said to a seasoned old elder who said, you can't go? Here's how Patton responded out of his biography. Mr. Dixon You are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection body, it will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Pretty bold, huh? we have that kind of moxie left? We, we got people like that who I think of John Knox who, who wept when he was called to the ministry and he said, Give me Scotland or I die. The accounts of this stuff is so much, I could have preached three weeks on this. Oh, I forgot to tell you. He went to the island, John Patton, and the whole island was converted, all of them. Massive working of the Spirit of God in that island through John Patton's testimony after it cost the blood of the martyrs their life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison as we look at the things, he says, which he says that are seen. He says, Not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Listen, the greater the suffering, the greater the reward. Rejoice and be glad. And finally, can I just say this? Look at the text. You're in good company if this happens to you. You say, what way? Look at verse 12. He said, rejoice, be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jeremiah, time won't permit. The weeping prophet cast into a cistern because of his, his commitment and words for Christ. Zechariah the prophet, Second Chronicles 24, was stoned to death. Isaiah the prophet, as you know, was sawn in what? Two and supposedly sawn into, it just sounds more gruesome, by a wood saw. Listen, it cost these prophets to speak for Christ. Elijah the prophet was despised in 1 Kings 18. In fact, you can't even just start mentioning them because in Acts 7.52, it says, Which of your prophets did the fathers not persecute? In other words, the Jewish people persecuted all of their prophets. And of course, they persecuted and killed the greatest prophet of all. Who was that? The Lord Jesus Christ, he's prophet, priest, and king. And they put him to death. You're in good company. Listen, your reward is great. Maybe you feel as though like Peter at times, especially if you're heading towards mission field and ministry, when Peter said, we've left everything. This is what he said to Jesus. We've left everything and we've followed you. What will we have? He left his nets. He left his family business. He left his family per se. What do we get? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you that you have followed me. Everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and children or lands for my namesake will receive, Jesus said, a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Listen, this is the blessing. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation no, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? The answer is no, nothing shall separate you. Listen, the reward is great. Listen, be bold. Don't be an idiot. Okay, I shouldn't probably say that word. Be be bold. And and you you get just you come next week. Do you understand why he said you're the salt of the earth? Do you understand why he said you're the light of the world? Do you understand why he said it where he said it? Because if this is what you get, maybe we just might as well just put a button on our mouth. Don't tell everybody. Don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. But he says, no. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And he said to me, You're the light of the world and to us. And so, listen, an elderly missionary couple, long time ago, I love this though, was returning home on a ship. Imagine this. Probably not, maybe it wouldn't happen today. Well, this is their account. They're re- returning on a ship after many years of sacrificial service in Africa, missionaries, many years. And on the same ship was this guy named Theodore Roosevelt. He had just completed a successful big game hunt. And if you've ever read any of Roosevelt's biography, he was an avid hunter. Nothing wrong with that, but he's on the same ship, Okay. And as the ship docked in New York Harbor, thousands of well-wishers and dozens of reporters lined the pier to welcome, welcome Roosevelt home, but not a single person was there to welcome the missionaries. As the couple rode to a hotel in the taxi, the man said to his wife, it just doesn't seem right. We just spent 45 years of our lives to Christ to win souls in Africa, and nobody knows or cares when we return. Yet the president goes over there for a few weeks to kill some animals, and the whole world takes notice. But as they prayed together that night, the Lord encouraged them. Do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? He said it is because you're not home yet. And the truth is, there's a great reward. Amen.